Jesus Christ. Amen. Our sermon text is Ezekiel 17, 22 through 24, and really very much these words, I the Lord have spoken, and I will do it. You may be seated. Symbols and icons they communicate more than many words might. Marketers dream of symbols or icons that will make people think of many things versus just the icon or symbol itself. When I was a kid, it was the golden arches of McDonald's. Seeing it as we drove down the road on vacation relieved the anxiety of, what will we eat? What would be good? Bear with me. This was the late 60s and early 70s. McDonald's was wholesome food. The fries were cut from real whole potatoes in the store. I know this because my mom received the lesser part of a half a potato uncut in her bag of fries once. In that time, when you saw the symbol of the golden arches, McDee's offered a place that was satisfying and wonderful because you knew what you would find. No surprises or anxiety over what would be on the menu. In our text, the symbol or icon of a tender sprig from the utmost shoots of a cedar is used to communicate a whole world of meaning. One must look at the context to see how this symbol of a, timble, of a, of a tender sprig invites us into a world more satisfying and wonderful than that of a world of fast food as you travel. If we understand the meaning of the tender sprig in context, far greater anxieties than that of where to have dinner or grab a quick bite of lunch while traveling will be relieved. Ezekiel proclaims these words read in our Old Testament lesson while in exile in Babylon. Through the prophets, God had warned his people of the coming judgment due to their continued apostasy. The people of the northern kingdom had been warned during the 8th century before Christ by Amos and Hosea that their idolatry and worship of Baal would result in their destruction. Their warnings that God would not be indefinitely tolerate idolatry and rebellion were not heeded, and punishment came in the form of the conquering forces of the Assyrians in 722 B.C. In a similar fashion, God sent the prophets Micah and Isaiah to the southern kingdom to warn Judah and Jerusalem about the coming judgment for their apostasy. Now Ezekiel, along with his contemporary Jeremiah, was called to announce the certain destruction of Jerusalem. Like the prophets before them, they turned the truth of their proclamation would be proven as it came to pass by the hand of the Lord. In 1 Kings 9.3, the fall of the place where God had chosen to dwell with his people, Jerusalem, is recorded as having taken place at the hands of the Babylonians. The depth and darkness of their apostasy that led up to this is described in 2 Kings 23, where the restoration of the temple takes place under the good king uh, Josiah. It reads, And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for the host of heaven. He burned them outside of Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron. 
the government and the religious leaders had set up statues in Yahweh's temple to practice worship of false gods. It was abhorrent and flagrant. It is why Josiah was struck with such fear when he found the book of the covenant containing God's word and laws that had been lost. Ezekiel proclaims God's judgment and destruction that will come upon Jerusalem, upon the corrupted temple, upon the political and religious leaders, and upon the foreign nations. It is into this foreboding context that the Lord's promise of a tender shoot is delivered by the prophet. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take up a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and I will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel I will plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort will nest. Amongst the preaching of the destruction that will come, there is this starkly contrasting image of a tender, tiny sprig that points the way to a new and wonderful age to be unveiled by a specific individual. A wonderful new world is promised and is on its way. It gave hope to those that would hear it. This promise of Ezekiel still speaks hope to us today as we find ourselves in a very similar context. Idolatry surrounds us as the elites of our culture and society embrace every form of immorality and refuse to listen and to consider God's call to contrition and repentance. Possibly the most horrific and visible sign of this idolatrous paganism is our country's murderous practice of abortion. The blood of millions of these innocents cries out to heaven. How similar to what was happening in Ezekiel's day he destroyed the idol Tapath so that no one might burn alive his son or daughter as an offering to Molech by placing him into the arms of this scorching image. We are called to view our world through the eyes of Ezekiel and other prophets because through them God delivers his holy will and word through them to us in Scripture. Idolatry and evil can seem so powerful and the position of the faithful so weak. As Ezekiel beheld the destruction of the temple, those who confessed Yahweh as the only true God must have seemed so weak and marginal. And we see this today. Christians who uphold the truth and teaching of Holy Scripture as the Word of God and confess Jesus to be the only way to God's mercy and grace are frequently viewed as having no standing and are given no respect. In fact, they are openly mocked. Christian morality is more and more often seen as bigotry. The treatment of Christians goes beyond verbal abuse to imprisonment and even being martyred for the faith. The news of such tragedy struggles to have a voice over the noise of things such as celebrity birthdays, weddings, conscious uncouplings that fill the social media news feeds. But Ezekiel's words lead us beyond the despair and anxiety over the apparent victory of the prevailing culture that seems to claim. Just as it did in his time to a wonderful new world where we will know the Lord has acted to rescue and redeem his people. It is the tender sprig that will be the agent. It will be the agent to achieve this great reversal. 
It is the promise of His sure word. I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it. It is God's same promise spoken of in Hebrews 12. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God, consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus is the tender sprig. In Jesus, God graciously places us in a wonderful new world where there is a peace that the powers of this world can never provide. It is a profound peace that places our hearts and souls at rest no matter what events in this world swirl around us. Jesus tells us of this peace in John 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In the center of this peace is Christ the crucified. His incarnation, life, death, resurrection, and ascension. His holy life and atoning death has delivered us from this life into His wonderful new world of life, now and forever. We, along with little Hannah and Savannah, have been baptized into Jesus' death and resurrection, and the narrative of our lives is now defined by Him, as stated in Romans 6, 4. We are buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In today's epistle, we listen to the words of St. Paul as he longs to experience that wonderful new world in its fullness of the resurrection. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we, still, while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. God's promise through Ezekiel has been fulfilled. The tender sprig has come. It is Jesus Christ. He has lifted up the lowly and built an eternal house in heaven for each of us in God's own wonderful new world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.